There you go. Greetings and welcome. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to the dividing line. Obviously, a road trip dividing line. I am somewhere in Texas. Um, I am at a, a park that I have never been to before. So, uh, really nice folks, nice folks in Texas. And it's sort of cloudy day and it's breezy and about 70, 72 degrees. I thought it was going to be this really, really, really cold trip. Uh, but so far, uh, of course, I shouldn't say anything about that, huh? Because I've still got a long ways to go. So let's not worry about that. Let's uh, let's just see how how things how things go. Um, so far, so good on the trip, and um, we'll be in Houston tomorrow. Uh, plan to have uh, dinner with some folks uh, tomorrow evening, and then Wednesday evening. I know Wednesday evening. Some folks still have Wednesday evening services. I get that. Uh, nothing we can do about that. But Wednesday evening. Seven o'clock central time, I believe. We have the debate with Keith Giles on what is marriage. And um, I think that's going to be useful for a lot of folks. Um, I've said many times that I think the Lord forced me to go to Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, he used uh, a complete lack of funding <laughs> to do anything else. I had seriously looked at going to Golden Gate after I graduated from uh, Grand Canyon College. And we had gone up there and then lo and behold, uh, found out uh, Kelly was pregnant with Josh and um, wasn't wasn't going to happen. So the only game in town in Phoenix, honestly, Phoenix Seminary hadn't started yet. The only game in town when I uh, when I started seminary was uh, Fuller and they would fly professors in, or they used professors from Grand Canyon College, which is where I had gone, and uh, which was helpful for me, obviously. But I did have many professors that were way, way, way to my left. And uh, that way I I learned um, back then what we call liberal theology. That's really not the best terminology, I think. Uh, today it's called progressivist, but that's not, that's, Completely, it's regressivist um, theology. But anyway, um, I just see so many people reacting so strongly um, to progressivists online. And uh, it, it that's just a function of the fact that we tend to only be in our own communities. And so when someone comes along and they are way well it'd be off to the left way way off to the left of us it just sounds like how could you even believe that well it's important to understand why people believe that and so i'm really hoping that um uh, keith giles is a completely deconstructed former southern baptist um who i don't really think holds any orthodox christian beliefs any longer at all uh, he'll use the language, but if you listen carefully, you discover it's something completely different. And I'm really hoping that it'll be useful, aside from being helpful in dealing with the subject of marriage in our day. And uh, so that's Wednesday night, should be seven o'clock, I believe. Uh, it will be webcast, and obviously uh, we'll have the link at aomin.org. We'll put it out on our on the app and do things like that. It's the same church that, and man, it's really close time-wise too. When did we do, um, when did we do the debate uh, last year in February? It wouldn't have been this early in February, or was it before then? 
I don't know. It was in February at some point. And uh, so, oh, okay. Well, thank you, uh, DMWP. Um, I was looking for some information. We're going to look at, we're going to look at a video only the first part of it. Cause it, it is designed for radio free Geneva. Um, but I was asking about one of the guys in the, in the group that were answering questions, a guy named Brett Bartlett. And, um, so I'm getting some information right now coming, coming across the teletype. Well, it doesn't work that way. Um, it's up in Michigan, unfortunately, but uh, man, I'd be I'd be willing to go into a um, a you know up in the Midwest. There um, w- would love to see if a man like that would be willing to back up what he says in debate. That would be that would be really 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 interesting. Um, you'll see when I play uh, portions of the uh, of the material. Uh, it's uh, pretty crazy stuff. So, uh, and then uh, also keep in mind, uh, a week from Friday, or is it Saturday? We will be having the debate with uh, Dr. Thomas Ross, where I'll be defending the thesis, the uh, Legacy Standard Bible is superior to the King James Version of the Bible. And, you know, why not? Um, the, uh, the King James translators would be on my side, and they would agree. Because the Legacy Standard Bible has continued to do the very things that the King James translators said to do. The way the King James translators said to do it. And um, so I will be defending that thesis. And um, that'll be interesting. And then don't forget, April 1st, the debate, can you have ethics and morality without God? Uh, I started listening to one of our opponents while driving yesterday. It's going to be an interesting evening. <laughs> very, very interesting. Uh, Jeff Durbin and I versus uh, two gentlemen on this uh, subject. Uh, this fellow is a former Mormon, and I feel sorry for him. I mean, if you're raised in Mormonism, in fact, his story is fascinating, come to think of it. he, um, uh, The last paper he wrote as a Mormon before he moved to Chapel Hill and started doing graduate work there and completely stopped believing anything as far as anything supernatural was in defense of Joseph Smith. And then, you know who he stayed under at Chapel Hill? You know, Bart Ehrman. And it, he he really is a symbol, I think, of what's going on in Mormonism because the, the, the biggest mistake um, that Mormonism ever made by its leaders was whoever decided amongst the apostles in the 70 and so on and so forth to start sending their best and their brightest out to, you know, outside of BYU, outside of Utah to get their PhDs someplace else to, to raise the scholarly acumen of the Mormon church. They didn't realize they were taking, they were putting a main line right into an artery of Mormonism and injecting it with cyanide because Joseph Smith cannot survive any kind of critical examination at all. So I I felt sorry for the guy. Uh, 
you know, if you're a former Mormon and you find out, you know, Mormonism is a complete lie, then he did what the vast majority of everybody did. You throw all of Christianity away along with it. And so he um, he has created his own pantheon um, and actually prays to these deities he's created, though he doesn't believe they exist in reality. It helps the chemistry of his mind. And, oh, it's, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going <laughs> to, I, I don't think there will be any antifreeze involved. I, I hope there will not be any antifreeze involved um this time around um i'm i'm actually open to, <laughs> maybe we could put into the debate agreement that both sides will open whatever bags they bring with them <laughs> for examination to see if there are any uh automotive fluids um contained <laughs> therein because <laughs> we don't if you've not seen that one you've missed it but that's as all there is to it so i'm looking forward to teaming up with um with the ninja again on uh, on April first, that'll be uh, that'll be really 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 interesting. Um, so uh, there you go. All right, I have a bunch of stuff here, and which one do I want to go with first here? I think I'll go with this one first. Uh, I think more people have a, a broader interest in this. I'm only gonna go audio, Rich. I'm not gonna try to uh, screen share and do all the rest of that stuff. By the way, by the way, before I do this. Um, Rich and I have been talking and, uh, I've been, I have a lot of time to think (laughs) while, um, while, uh, driving, uh, across the highways and byways of, um, especially Texas, especially where I am in Texas. It's a little hilly here. It's not mountainous by any stretch of the imagination, but San Antonio has some hills, you know, I suppose that's something. Um, and uh, I'll be go- I'll be driving through San Antonio first thing tomorrow. Um, but um, a lot of time to think. And um, most of you know that we started uh, doing this means of travel rather than air travel. Um, part of that reason was lockdowns. Those are over for now. Um, all sorts of studies come out. Just saw a study today just decimates the use of masks, demonstrates they're just completely worthless and useless, as we were telling people in 2020. I was one of the first people telling people. I just, I had hundreds of studies that that had been done before COVID and then during COVID that all said the same thing and now after COVID, demonstrating that masks were completely worthless, useless, and dangerous for many of us, including myself. Um, I have not gotten any apologies, to my knowledge. Uh, from the people who uh, ripped and snorted and stopped supporting us and doing stuff like that, uh, even though pretty much everything we were saying has now been demonstrated to have been uh, the very dangers that that, that existed. Anyway, um, I'm I when I think about how much we spent on airline tickets in 2019, I flew 165,000 miles in 2019 when. When I think of how much we spent, I don't want to send that money to the companies that did not care about me, uh, would not make an exception for me. Um, wearing a mask is very dangerous for me. I have a heart condition that it exacerbates. Far more dangerous for me to experience that than any exposure to COVID. 
and so uh, I just don't want to give them all sorts of large amounts of money. So I'm sitting in our fifth wheel that we purchased in uh, July of 2021. At least that's when I first drove it. Maybe it was June. Um, and we've learned a lot over the past uh, year and a half. Learned a lot. As you know, we we updated, uh, we upgraded our tow vehicle. If I had listened to Pastor Derek Melton <laughs> from the very start, we wouldn't have had to have done that because uh, he told me, get, get a diesel. And uh, I didn't really listen to him. Um, and uh, the Lord made that available. And that has been a tremendous advantage. A tremendous, so thankful. So thankful. Uh, wow. Wow. Uh but we've also learned about some, we've learned about a lot of other things in, in the course of these trips. And I have a number of trips. Uh, you know, this is a long one, all of February. Uh, I've got the short one in, in April, uh, all of May, um, G3 in September, uh, covering, I don't know, a dozen states in July. Um, lots and lots of miles. And, um, uh, after all this amount of time, I better know what I'm doing when it comes to pulling an RV. And I've learned things, and we've we've learned about some uh, design issues with our with our unit. And um, they do have safety ramifications as well. But at the same time, um, I have come up with what I think is a really super idea. Um, as to how to utilize something like this significantly at a much higher level that we hadn't even thought of this part before. We hadn't really thought of this part, what I'm doing right now, before. Um, and so we are praying toward that end and doing research and making phone calls and checking stuff out. And I really hope the Lord opens the door to allow us to to do this. It would um, increase my safety and comfort on the road. No, no question about that. Uh, I think it would give us longer lasting um, uh, value to what we're doing. And uh, like I said, it would allow us to do some neat stuff uh, online um, from a lot of different places, uh, including along the, the debate line. And, um, so uh, pray with us toward that end. And if um, if you feel so led and you go, yeah, we want to have you out there doing the things you're doing, going and doing the debates you're doing. Uh, we need to have your voice out there. Um, the travel fund at aomin.org. You just go to aomin.org. There's a link there. And it's I think it's donate. I think it's the donate link. And then there's a choice thing, a general fund and travel fund is the only two we have in there right now. And um, if there's uh, uh, more and more coming in the travel fund, uh, that's that's an indication that press forward and do good stuff. Uh, keep addressing these issues. Keep uh, keep doing these debates and going to the places you're going. And um, so, yeah, uh, pray with us toward those ends. And uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, you know, but but my excitement doesn't mean anything. <laughs> um have to be able to make everything work and uh, to do it right. So anyway, now I'm going to uh, offend everybody. <laughs> I'm not going to offend everybody. A um a tweet popped up um 
on uh, my feed and um, it involves J.D. Greer. Now, I remember very clearly, <laughs> it's funny, I'm getting that age where you think back just a few years and go, what, you were an idiot. When I was in Munster, Germany in January of 2019, um, it snowed. In fact, I, I remember videotaping when it the snow started coming down. The next morning, I went out and ran. That was really stupid. It was icy. It was slippery. And here I am running in this stuff on paths I've never been on in my life. But I did it. And when I think back of what I could have done to myself uh, just by being stupid, um, it's, it's, it's something else. But anyway, I remember, you know why I remember that? Because I was listening to J.D. Greer's sermon where he was talking about where he quoted the woman, sort of the woman preacher in his church, um, that says that God whispers about sexual sin. But he's real loud about religious hypocrisy and greed and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Remember that? I first heard that. I listened to that um, sermon while running in the ice and snow in, in Munster. Uh, it's sort of indexed in my mind at that point in time. And we talked about it. We did we did a program and we we discussed um, what he was saying and why it was wrong. And and uh, it was from his Romans 1 series. And I just went through Romans 1 and I'm like, no, it's, he's not just listing homosexuality in amongst all these other sins. He's using it as an example of what has happened because of sin. Anyway. Um, a lot has happened since then. I mean, it was not all that long after that, that the Lytton plagiarism stuff exploded. Um, and on many of the same sermons that, uh, that Greer had preached. Um, and we all see the trajectory of the SBC as a whole right now. Uh, it is, uh, inexorably moving left toward uh, an affirming stance. And what you don't hear and what we need to hear is the centrality of repentance. Now that, that started a long time ago. I remember one particular student of mine, I was teaching, pretty sure it was Greek. It might've been it might have been Hebrew exegesis, but I, th I think it was Greek. Um, and one of my students came in, and he had just come out of, was it an evangelism class or some type of church growth class or something along those lines? And he reported to me that he had just been informed in that other class. They had been given a list of words to not use in church so as to make the place more welcoming to seekers and things like that and one of the words well of uh, uh, wrath judgment and repentance uh, repentance especially and so the the groundwork for all of this was started long long ago the anti-repentance movement the anti-lordship movement 
started a long time ago. And now it is bearing fruit in that the only way to understand the way that the Lord Jesus dealt with sinners was that he dealt with them in repentance, not his repentance, their repentance. And so people say, oh, Jesus spent time with sinners and he was not judgmental. His first and foremost message was repentance. Look at Zacchaeus. What has Zacchaeus done? Repentance is involved. Look at his public ministry. It's repentance. Even the woman at the well. You cannot understand these things if you don't recognize the centrality of repentance. Because repentance is a gift from God as his faith. And so that demonstrates the spirit of God is at work in someone's, sorry about that, can't touch that right now. That's something we're going to be trying to fix, by the way. Uh, touch touch the table and everything shakes. Um, that's one of the, one of the things. Um, repentance and faith are the works of the spirit of God. And once you make repentance, just simply whatever, you know, if you want to, if you want to be a, a super Christian, fine. Um, but it's optional. And faith is just simply the uh, autonomous act of the human being. You're never going to make heads or tails out of the, the morality and ethics of, of the Bible. You're just not going to be able to. So a clip has been posted from J.D. Greer about same-sex attraction in teenagers and a safe space. If safe space means a place where your sin will not be called to repentance, then no church should ever be a safe space. And we all know that's exactly what a safe space is, right? So let's listen to what J.D. Greer says, and then we'll uh, comment on it on the other side. You say, you must say, I love you more than I love being right. And so even if you don't see things my way, I'm going to keep bringing you close and I'm going to remain committed to you. This is where the Christian community has so badly failed to live out Jesus's ministry. The church ought to be the safest place on the planet for a teenager with same-sex attraction to reveal that or to come out. The sinners were always safe exposing their hearts to Jesus. It does not mean that we consent or agree. It just means we never turn away and we never stop loving and we never stop drawing them close. And we, church, we must be the biggest advocates against, biggest advocates against discrimination and abuse against the gay community. And where we have not church, we must repent. And if some of you have been the victims of that abuse, tragically, often it was done in the name of Jesus. That was not Jesus. That was Satan dressed up in Jesus' clothes because that is not what Jesus was. Jesus was holy, just, righteous. His very presence caused people to repent. It, it did not cause people to be comfortable in their sin. That, that's the Jesus of the Bible, anyways. And so when you say the church should be the safest place for a teenager to come out about same-sex attraction, what do you mean by that? Do you mean by that that a teenager should have confidence that the church 
will be so much like Jesus that the church will tell them what they need to hear to have peace with God, even if that's the exact opposite of what the culture says. Is that what you mean? I don't think that's what he means. That's the only way we can say those words. Anyone should know this church will tell me the truth. They won't play games. They won't just go with what will make them popular with the world. They will tell me how to have peace with God. How to escape the judgment of God and to have peace with God. That's what they'll tell me. And so, yes, the Christian church should be a safe place for a teenager who, and in the vast majority of these instances, vast when I started studying homosexuality in 2000, specifically in preparation for writing same-sex controversy, the number was like one and a half percent. And it has exploded, not only homosexuality, but transgenderism and everything else and the 147 different insane genders and all the rest of that stuff. Don't tell me that that's natural. That's the internet. That's smartphones. That's YouTube. That's TikTok. That's Instagram. That's trying to fit in. That that is fake. Okay, it is created. It has been ginned up. And so, when when we're talking about the church and someone who has same-sex attraction. The question is, why do you have same-sex attraction? What are you exposing yourself to that is creating that? Because it's a much smaller number of people who can in any way, shape, or form with any honesty say, I've always felt this way. There are some like that. I have talked with some like that. And the church should be a place where someone who has struggled with that their entire life and does not want that can come and get godly counsel as to how to have peace with God. The church should never be the place where someone comes to have their sexual desires and predilections baptized and made acceptable before God. And so there's a difference between the two. And there's a huge difference between the two. I mean, it's an obvious difference between the two. But that's that's the only way we can talk about a safe space. I'm tired. Look, are there people that I've heard say horrific, bigoted things out of utter ignorance? Of course, in the church. I get it. Where has the church failed? First of all, I do not accept there is such a thing as a homosexual community. You cannot have community based upon perverted sexual desire. That's just, that's not a community. It's just no one who holds up the Bible as an ultimate authority should ever collapse and give into this type of definition. Just shouldn't do it. But where has the church failed? Well, I'll tell you. Um, I come, you know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. And that means my parents grew up in the 40s and 50s. 
and well, late thirties too, uh, for that matter. Um, and we were independent fundamentalist Baptists, GRB, General Association of Regular Baptists. You didn't talk about these things. You didn't talk about these things. Um, you would have people who would make crass jokes, but even that, I, I don't, I don't ever remember that actually happening. Come to think of it, because you just didn't talk about this stuff. This, this was, this was no. You keep that in no. What that also meant was we did not have any kind of open, clear doctrine of biblical sexuality. We knew what a marriage was. Everybody knew what a marriage was. Um, but we didn't really have a, you know, you'd read the stuff about polygamy, concubinage, stuff like that, and no one would ever talk about it. You know, no one would ever go, well, that was really bad, or this is why this happened, or that happened, or things like that. So we failed in being, as we normally are, way behind the curve. And in the 60s, especially, some people saw it. Francis Schaeffer saw it. Uh, Rush Juni saw it. But we all thought they were a little weird. Um, you could see where the culture was going. You could, you follow these steps and it's not good. We didn't, we didn't prepare. I wasn't prepared. I, I've, I've, I've admitted more than once. I graduated from seminary. I could not have told you what the clobber passages, the primary passages on homosexuality in the Bible even were. And I took a morality and ethics class too. Didn't really discuss it. I did debate the professor on abortion because he came from Fuller and he was way to the left. Um, but that's the way things were. So we failed in not being ahead, in not giving clear guidance, in not being able to say to the world, you follow this path, you, you start playing with gender, you start playing with marriage, you start playing with the family. And the results are going to be absolute disaster for the entire culture. And here's why. We still struggle in some ways to be able to answer the question. And here's why. Because well, we're made in the image of God. We live in God's world. He wrote the owner's manual and we're throwing it out. That's a problem. It's a big, big problem. And so you, you fail homosexuals when you do not call them to repentance you fail them when you cannot explain to them what god's eternal word says about the path to their own freedom that's how you fail them you don't fail them by not providing them a safe space i mean i just why do we even use such language safe space please um, because for most people, that means a repentance-free space. And there can be no such thing as repentance-free space. Just not possible. Not possible. So this is where the SBC is going. It's becoming this, this reflection of the society. It was already going there before the quote-unquote resurgence. The resurgence 
put the brakes on for a while. Um, but let's just be honest. That's that's where this is going. Um, there's there's no there's no way around it. And that means these churches will become irrelevant. They'll become smaller and smaller. And um, eventually you're just going to see the Southern Baptist Convention being like the United Methodists if they keep going this direction, you know. Um, and that's that's tragedy, but it, it may also be just necessary as well um, to do that. Um, I noticed a quotation posted, shifting gears here, put the clutch in. Some of you don't know what a clutch is. <laughs> I love that uh, millennial anti-theft device, which is just a picture of the gear shift. Uh, when I think about the cars I learned to drive on, you youngins should respect us old folks. <laughs> I, we had a, what year was that? 70, 74 Ford Granada. Was it three, three or four speed on the column? Oh, try learning to drive on that. One, if you if you can learn to drive that, you can learn to drive almost anything. Oh, it was the clutch wasn't really good, and oh, it was, yeah, yeah, it was ugly. Anyway, see, I told you, the older I get, <laughs> these old memories come back. It's like, oh, it's so fun to have an old memory. Let's talk about, <laughs> and then all your other old friends go. Hey, I just had one too. Let's talk about that. <laughs> it's great. Anyway, uh, a um, quotation was uh, provided on um, Twitter today. There is a, uh, and it's connected to the neo-Thomistic movement, the Thomistic Renaissance amongst the Reformed. Uh, if someone is going to be a Thomist, they're going to hate Vintel. You you cannot love Van Til and love Thomas at the same time. Um, one of my first memories of reading the old Presbyterian and Reformed English translations of Van Til's works, Defense of the Faith and Introduction to Systematic Theology and stuff like that. You know, the smaller ones, but uh, they were the paperback and they, they really were not typeset well at all. It was almost a Times Roman, not even Times Roman, but courier courier font something like that oh it's bad anyway one of my memories see did the memory thing again um was making note of how often van Til made reference to thomas aquinas in a very negative fashion and part of that was just simply because um roman catholic apologetics is extremely man-centered uh every time Every time I've happened to wander across um, Roman Catholic, uh, listening to Catholic answers or something like that on the radio, and they're taking phone calls and they have an atheist call in, I just sit there listening. And I think a couple of times in the past, we've gone ahead and played some of them. I've tried to track down the recording and played it. But it's just, oh, it's so, it's so difficult to listen to. Because they have to, because of their theology, grant to the atheist, his human autonomy. It's, it's the essence of the sacramental system. 
And it's really the essence of, of Thomas's uh, apologetic as well, that, that appeal to human reason and things like that. And so for Van Til, he's like, Here, this, is, this is one of the biggest dividing lines between us is we do not, you, you cannot grant to the rebel sinner his right to stand in judgment of the holy God. You can't say to the pot, you get to decide whether there's a potter or not. The pot is judged by the potter, not the other way around. And so uh, as the, uh, and, and of course they've stolen the term classical theology, classical apologetics uh, terminology, as this Thomistic resourcement has been taking place, it's not just amongst Reformed Baptists, though it's the most incongruous amongst Reformed Baptists. Anytime I hear Reformed Baptists talking about the great tradition, I just, I just want to go, dude, there aren't any Baptists in the great tradition. <laughs> You're, yeah, do you know what the great tradition of baptism is or, or church government or any of those things? So on the one hand, you're saying on this stuff, we're going to be biblicists and reject that. But then over here, we're not going to do. Ah, anyway. Um, as this resourcement has taken place, um, you have seen a number. of OK, well, we'll do the best we can to pick up from there. Um, so. Uh, Fesco is one of the classical theology, classical apologetics guys. Came out with a book against Van Til um, a few years ago. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that I am seeing pushback from uh, Westminster Seminary. Uh, they're doing a bunch of stuff on Van Til. They're doing a lot of good uh, seminars and putting out good stuff. And um, I think that's very useful. Uh, but I, I noted, as I said, a uh, quotation that was posted today. Van Til could get away with a lot because a lot of the things that he wrote about, the views of Kuiper and Bavink, were locked away in Dutch and no one could go back and see what do Kuiper and Bavink actually say. Now, remember, one of the greatest criticisms of Van Til for years has been English was not his first language, it was Dutch. So he's reading them in his own language. And so now you have people depend upon English translations thinking they can get it better than he could, um, which is always interesting. Um, and now so many of the works of Kuiper and Bavink are coming out in English translation. People can now verify for themselves. I'm not so sure that Van Til rightly understood Kuiper and Bavink at these particular points of criticism. Would love to have seen these guys say that to Van Til uh, back in the day, but they were just kids then. I think that a lot of the supposedly supposedly unique contributions that Van Til has made, supposedly to the field of apologetics, this is Fesco speaking, by the way, are going to be revealed as either being erroneous or not so unique because they're actually said clear and with better exegesis and a sounder theological historical foundation in the tradition in Kuiper or Bavink. And so in that sense, I can't help but think that a lot of Van Til, not everything, but a lot of what Van Til has said is becoming irrelevant. In other words, why use the middleman when I can go straight to the source? I predict that 10 years from now, those words will be laughable. Laughable. Because the Thomistic resourcement can only last so long. Thomas is boring. 
Thomas is dry. I can't tell you how many Roman Catholics I've talked to that have studied Thomas that will tell you. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay. You have to have, you have to have a motivation that you want to get ahead in the academy, in the, in the, amongst the scholastics to push yourself to drive through Aquinas. That's just the reality. And there's just, as people live in this world and deal with all the difficulties and struggles we're having today, it's just not going to last. Just not going to last. I mean, it's going to do its damage like scholasticism always does in every generation. But it's not going to last. It's not going to last. And the people promoting it, yeah, they won't either. Okay. Now, I want to thank uh, Dead Men Walking Podcast for confirming a few things for me here. Um, it was Dead Men Walking Podcast that posted this. So, evidently, back in 2015, it was an interesting year, there was a certainty conference on Reformed Theology by, and it featured, from what I can see here in the video anyways, I'm not going to be showing the video yet. We're going to do this as a Radio Free Geneva. Maybe on the road, maybe on my trip back. We'll see. Um, You know, I'd have to probably have my second monitor hooked up and it gets a little complicated. Again, Lord willing, we'll be improving my ability to do these things in the future. with your assistance. Uh, but I'm looking at four men. Now, it's, what's interesting is, and, and maybe maybe I'm wrong here. I don't know. But my understanding is these are King James only fundamentalist Baptists. But they're doing the cash thing. You know, no ties, no, no jackets, golf pants, golf shirts type thing. And I've just gotten the feeling, I could be wrong about this, I've just gotten the feeling that that's even an area of division. Because I've heard uh, when uh, bad preacher clips post stuff, I've heard the suit-wearing, tie-wearing, Stephen Anderson-style guys just ripping and snorting on the people who preach... Uh, in some type of fashion that's supposed to be uh, attractive to the world or something along those lines. And these guys are in jeans and they're, they're cashed out. So, I mean, not cash cashed out, but uh, they're, they're, they're not doing the standard fundamentalist Baptist look, shall we say. And someone has confirmed for me. Thank you very much. This is, this is why Twitter is useful. Whether we admit it or not, Twitter is useful. Um, the four pastors, as they are sitting on the seats here, it's one of these Q&A things. Brett Bartlett, Mark Trotter, Sam Miles, and Alan Shelby. I think, it, way back here someplace, the name Mark Trotter rings a Faint bell, but I could be completely wrong about that. Might be someone completely different. Don't know. But they are answering questions 
It is the blind leading the blind. It, it is why we started Radio Free Geneva. <laughs> you know, we've dealt with some of the best of the best in their criticisms of Reformed theology on Radio Free Geneva. We have. But most of the time, most of us are dealing with people who are not giving us the best of the best. They're giving us the worst of the worst. And in this context, you've got people who know nothing about Calvinism asking questions of people who know just a little bit about Calvinism. And the result is really, really bad. Now, it's interesting. This is coming up on eight years ago now. Does 2015 feel like eight years ago to you? Doesn't feel like it to me. Then again, 2019 does feel like about 20 years ago on, on other levels. So I guess we've got that. We're going to do this as Radio Free Geneva. I'm just going to look at the first, just give you a sense uh, of what's going on here. Here is the first question up. And uh, hopefully this will come across clearly. And my phone battery won't die before the end of the hour. <laughs> so that's best shot we've got. Okay, the only question I ever had to a Calvinist, and they never respond well to this, is if you honestly believe even two of the points, unconditional election and total depravity, why are you not just totally depraved? Because if you can't do anything for your salvation, I would act like the days of Noah. Um, now, if if I was in a situation where you didn't have a completely reformed audience, or maybe I was in the minority, and someone asked that question, my response would be, well, any self-respecting Calvinist who has done really any serious listening to reform preaching, reform theology, uh, would tell you um, that regeneration involves taking out a heart of stone and giving a heart of flesh. You're made a new creature. You're made a lover of Christ. And so uh, it is true that God unconditionally elects those to whom he shows that mercy and that grace. But when he shows that mercy and that grace, he brings about regeneration and he changes our hearts and our minds so that we desire to love God and to be submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, which would get all sorts of boos and catcalls and things like that. Anyway, um, we are no longer totally depraved because we are a new creature in Christ. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have a new heart. And so we still have the effects of abiding sin in this life until death when we are freed from those things. And so we're still dealing with sin in our life, but we are no longer slaves to sin. And we are no longer dead in sin. In Christ, we have been made new creatures. And so that's how I would respond. And if the panel has any knowledge of Reformed theology, and what I just said is standard, basic, 101. It's not some mystery. It's, it's not only the high-end Calvinists would know that. No, it's what everybody understands. And so if you're going to answer a question about something, then you, you might want to know what you're talking about. So here's, um, here's the panel responding. 
They're looking at each other. How would they respond to that? Well, um, is this on? Okay, well. So this is Brett Bartlett speaking. If uh, they're, they're, they would say that they're not totally depraved because they have been sovereignly decreed uh, to not be totally depraved since before the foundation of the world. What? What? Is that supposed to be, they would say that they are not totally depraved because they have been regenerated because in God's sovereign decree, he chose to be merciful and gracious to them before the foundation of the world. Is that the, is that what that's supposed to mean? Um, I hope that's what it's supposed to mean. So they would say that they, they would say that they are not depraved because, because God has forced their lack of depravity on them violently and against their will. And that is not me hyperbolizing. That is their terminology. So uh, here you have the constant, and I, I, it's really hard for me to respect people who do this. I, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I, I've tried and I fail. Um, this is this absurd, shallow, and childish as saying that Jesus violently forced life on Lazarus. That the Holy Spirit of God violently forced a new heart um, upon Lydia. Why, why even use such absurd language? Well, because you don't have an actual response to the biblical argumentation. So you, you have to come up with something to inflame emotions. It's obvious. Um, and so... This this is the kind of absurd misrepresentation that is so common amongst these fundamentalist Baptists. And why, why can they get away with this? Because amongst fundamentalist Baptists, you do not have any kind of encouragement to read outside of your tradition. And in fact, there is an inherent fear there is an inherent fear of doing so. I mean, fundamentalism is a fear-driven system. Don't listen to those people out there. Oh, I can tell you, I, I knew a guy once. He started listening to, to R.C. Sproul, and today, oh, my goodness. See? And so you have this fear-driven mindset. Because they're clearly not doing reading outside their own tradition. And that explains some of the straw man misrepresentation. And, and they know that their audience isn't. And so that's how they get away with it. But I mean, it's not even close. And that's why, look, hey, especially Brett Bartlett. Um, would I would love to do a public debate with Brett Bartlett on unconditional election or something like that. That'd be great. Um, uh, have fifth wheel will travel. <laughs> let's let's make it happen. Um, but uh, we continue. That 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 would be their answer. Um, 
as far as any extrapolation on that, I will leave that to the the, the great minds to my left. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm in a boy band, man. This is this is my solo right here. So I'm assuming, from what I've been told, this is Mark Trotter. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with the guy to the right. You know, I think if you stop and think about it, there's a parallel between Catholicism and Islam, right? You got seven sacraments or you got a, you got five pillars. I always get really nervous when people start talking about Catholicism and Islam because most fundamentalists are extremely ignorant of Catholicism and extremely ignorant of Islam. And it's like, you just multiply the level of ignorance by each other. Um, so seven sacraments and the five ways, what's the connection there? I have no earthly idea. Uh, I, and I understand Catholicism and I understand Islam uh, pretty well, more better than the average bear. And I don't see what the connection is. And obviously, that's some reference to something earlier. I, I who knows? And both of them are fatalistic. Both of them are fatalistic. Well, there, uh, the hadith is fatalistic in the sense of an absolute decree of of Allah. I've narrated the hadith that talk about this uh, to you many times before. Um, but Catholicism? I mean, there's an Augustinian branch of Catholicism, obviously. But but Trent's doctrine of the sacraments requires some level of human autonomy for it to even be meaningful. So I don't see any meaningful connection between Catholicism and Islam on this topic at all. Um, And Calvinism borrows that from both of those. It is fatalistic. So Calvinism borrows from Islam um, and Roman Catholicism to be fatalistic. Okay, it, Again, the ignorance is understandable. It's uh, prevalent. Hey, even Norman Geisler showed ignorance at this point. It's more of a bias than he didn't have to be ignorant of it. He just chose to be ignorant of it. Um, but anyone who understands Khadr in Islamic theology, and understands the transcendence of Allah, knows that the Christian doctrine of the incarnation and the um, direct providential involvement of God in the events in time uh, is a complete violation of Islamic theology regarding the transcendence of Allah and the concept of Qadr. And so those who try to uh, connect Qatar and the Christian doctrine of predestination election as fatalism are just purely ignorant of the terminology. They just don't know what they're talking about. Most of them just don't care. That's the problem. It's, it's, it's meant to be an argument 
it's meant to be, oh, you're like the Muslims. You don't want to be like the Muslims. That, that, that's, it's that level of argumentation. But um, if you're interested, uh, some of that came out in my conversation with Yusuf Ismail in Durban, South Africa. And what was that, about 2018, 2019? It's one of the last times I was in Durban. I think it was probably like 2018. Um, we did the debate on predestination. It was interesting because Yusuf ended up being... I thought considerably less consistent with the terminology that Muhammad used um, than I expected it to be. But again, if you want to hear both sides in a conversation on that subject, you could, you could do that. So this is, I think you have to agree. This will make a great radio for Geneva. <laughs> It really will. So if any of you know Brett Bartlett, Mark Trotter, Sam Miles, and Alan Shelby, uh, let them know that we are going to do a Radio Free Geneva. I don't know the date yet. You know, all depends. But we are going to be uh, responding to their statements that were made publicly and refuting them and um, inviting their question uh, and their participation and and stuff like that so there you go there you go sorry about the the cutout we had i'm not sure if we had a second one later on i did see a disconnect thing briefly uh later on so we may have had a few hiccups sometimes happens uh on the road uh, um but um pray for the debate uh wednesday night that there will be clarity um that uh we won't have technical issues with the live streaming and of course, traveling mercies. And uh, then uh, I'm going to be speaking on Roman Catholicism in uh, Louisiana. And then, of course, the conference in Tullahoma, Jeffrey Rice's conference there, uh, going to be doing the debate there and speaking from the Gospel of John. And then the trip all the way home uh, as well. So thank you very, very much for your support. And hopefully the program was helpful to you today, and we will see you next time on The Dividing Line. God bless.